Hey, what's up, church family? My name is Black Newborn, one of the youth pastors here at Christ Church Midrand. If you're joining us for the very first time this Sunday for our church at home service, a very special warm welcome to you. We are delighted that you're joining our family this morning. We hope that you'll be encouraged by the singing. We hope that you'll be blessed by the preaching as we hear God speak to us later on in the service. And for the rest of the church family, I'm super excited to be with the rest of you again as much as we are meeting together virtually. But by God's Holy Spirit, we can know that we are connected. We can know that as we sing, heaven is singing with us. As we hear God speak to us, he's speaking to all of us individually as his children. But he's also speaking to us as a family, as a body, as a collective. So I'm going to pray for us that God may help us feel that reality and know it to be true in our minds and our hearts as we all just look at the screen. In fact, gather everybody, if you haven't already, gather the kids, the teens, grandparents, the dogs, the cats, the fish, if they need to hear the gospel today as well. But gather everybody so that we can pray um, and ask God to lead us by his Holy Spirit. So once you bow your heads wherever you are, and I'm going to pray for us today. Lord, thank you so much that we are alive today, a gift that you have given us uh, so graciously, Lord. We want to thank you that we've been reminded that you're not just our God, our creator in the past couple of weeks, but that you're our father and that we can intimately come to you in such a privileged manner to pray to you, knowing uh, that you hear us. We have confidence because of the sacrificial death of Jesus. Uh, and we know through that, Lord, that you hear us even now. Father, be with us um, as a body, as a collective, as a family, uh, that we may all feel connected, we may all know uh, truthfully, Lord, that we are all together because of you. Speak to us this morning as your word is open and help us, Lord, to be encouraged, uh, to grow in our walk, to grow in our faith, uh, to be encouraged, Father, to live lives that are glorifying and pleasing to you and lives that are beneficial for our neighbor as well. So be with us by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope, no place to begin i 
This morning, I'm going to lead us in the prayer of confession and the Apostles' Creed. Let us pray together. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have left undone what we ought to have done, and we have done what we ought not to have done. 
We have followed our own ways and our own desires, and we have neglected and broken your holy laws. Have mercy on us, Lord. Restore those who repent and confess their sins according to your promises declared in Jesus Christ our Lord. Grant, merciful Father, for his sake, that hereafter we may live a righteous and obedient life to the glory of your holy name. Please join me as we affirm the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, he died and was buried. He descended into the place of the dead. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Christ's holy universal church, the fellowship of Christians, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Let us continue in prayer. Indeed, Father, this morning we come before you with repentant hearts. We are ashamed by how easily we are lured by the fleeting pleasures of sin. Forgive us, Lord, and set our hearts and minds on the correct path. Like the psalmist, we pray that we may stay on the path of purity, live according to your work, and seek you with all our hearts. We are truly grateful for your love, mercy, and grace, that through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we have been redeemed from spiritual death and sin. Thank you for, transform, for the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that continuously inclines us to honor your glory. Help us as a church family to live worthy of you, Lord. I pray for the church leadership, the different ministries of the church and the church staff. I pray that you guide our steps, Lord. Focus our efforts on you in all that we do and say. Remind us to always pray earnestly for those in authority. I pray for the state president, Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa, and his cabinet, that they may govern with integrity. Grant them the wisdom, Lord, to navigate the very difficult and narrow path. Help them to address the contradictory and oftentimes conflicting demands facing them. As a nation, we are faced with an uncertain future. Guide us as your children to reflect your light and hope in the darkness of despair that is paralyzing our communities. Many are afflicted by illness and the death of loved ones. Violent crimes against women and children continue unabated. As we celebrate Women's Month, we pray for an end to the scourge. We cry for mercy, Lord. Protect us from the animalistic behavior of some men. Help us, Lord, we pray. We thank you and we praise you because you are Lord. We trust you and magnify your name. You are in control of the universe. 
We submit to your authority and lordship. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Morning, family. I hope that you've been enjoying the service so far. My name is Kate. And as we all know, we are celebrating Women's Day on Sunday, the 9th of August. And the tradition has become in South Africa that it is then the whole month that we celebrate the women that God has brought into our lives. It's a great thing. And we see throughout the Bible, prominent roles that women have played in God's great salvation plan. Eve, the mother of all, Sarah, the mother of the promised people, Rahab, Ruth, Esther, and the list continues. The high point of Mary being the woman who bears our savior, King Jesus. The work and influence of women continue throughout the New Testament, well into church history, and right up to this very point, to this minute in 2020. So it's good to appreciate the women that are in our lives. We will be doing that this whole month with a series of interviews, and I hope that you'll be encouraged by the faces and the voices that you see on your screen. We all know Bronwyn, who's normally um, hiding behind the piano or the keyboard, but she's going to be kicking us off with our first interview, and we all look forward to that. Thanks, Bronwyn. Then just some advance notice for the women in our church. We are going to be having what I'm calling a power hour, women's power hour, on Saturday, September the 5th at 11. Obviously, we'll be meeting on Zoom, and we'll spend some time in God's Word. We'll spend some time praying together in groups, which you can do on Zoom. And then maybe we'll hear one or two stories of what's been happening in the last 100 days. The title for the talk is When Ruth and Esther Come Face to Face with COVID. Don't miss it. Check out our website for the Zoom details and invite a friend. So enjoy the rest of the service and um, may we all have a wonderful month celebrating those very special women that God has brought into our lives. Thanks very much. Good morning, family. Today I have the privilege of introducing somebody very special, uh, Wonder Woman herself. Uh, we see her every Sunday leading us in worship, as well as making those uh, announcements about which cottage pies are available at the Courtyard Cafe. Hi, Bronwyn. Uh, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about who you are. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Tessa. Thanks so much. Yeah, so I'm Bronwyn and I am married to Gordon. We've been married for 13 and a half years now. That makes me feel very old. And we have two children, Rachel and Benjamin. Benjamin is nine and Rachel is seven. And we've just got a new little puppy. So our house is very busy. Bronwyn, you've been at the church for a number of years now and you're almost part of the furniture there. Tell us, how did you come to be at Christ Church Midrand? So I uh, grew up in a Baptist church and my parents were Christians. And I was in church from the first Sunday after I was born. And um, we moved house uh, somewhere around the time when I was about 17 or 18. And moved into a new area and started to attend a Baptist church there. And there was a small group um, a few families in that church who kind of started to meet in a home group. And we just felt that that was a wonderful uh, group of people. We settled in with them as a family. So we departed from the Baptist church briefly 
and uh, started at a home church. And unbeknown to me, the home church was a uh, REACH SA branch. And it was a group of people who um, associated with that denomination. And they had very close ties with Martin Morrison. And Martin used to send out ministers, lay preachers um, every Sunday to this little home church. And I started to, to hear um, the preaching of the word in a way that I'd never heard before. And then in the evenings, we would listen to little tapes, little cassette tapes of Martin's preaching. And um, I got to know his preaching very well before I ever met the man. And then uh, one day when I was a student, I decided, let me go and visit the church. I started visiting. I had a bit too much to say about the music and then I got the job. <laughs> oh man, uh, back when Martin had an Afro and was still recording on cassette tapes. <laughs> I think uh, he lost the Afro, but I still think he does record on cassette tapes. Uh, but Bronwyn, uh, for those people who do not know what you do at church, please inform us a little bit about some of the responsibilities that you have at church. So um, I started off just doing music and uh, some years ago we had a very large choir and uh, that was a great joy to me. Um, and then we music kind of changed in the church a little bit and we moved more into small um, groups, smaller groups of singing and that occupied me. It was a whole shift in how we did our music and uh, then I came up with a very strange idea um, that I should do some cooking. And uh, Martin always wanted to have a, a coffee shop. And I, again, had a bit too much to say and found myself heading up a cafe. <laughs> um, and I've also, in the background, just helped with media and sound, and, uh, but mostly uh, music ministry. Bronwyn, it seems that having much to say just means that you have much more to do. <laughs> I don't seem to learn. I don't seem to learn. I need to keep quiet. <laughs> um, Bronwyn, outside of uh, having to sit there and listen to bad voice auditions for people who want to be on the worship team, what are some of the challenges that you have faced in um, music ministry? So doing music ministry over the years, we've, um, as I said earlier, we've seen the team kind of change and shift and many people have come and many people have left. And that is always a sadness for me. And um, a person, one builds up a team and you build up a rapport with that team. And um, for various reasons, we seem to um, often have people leaving. I think it's partly to do with our, our country uh, maybe and some of the unsettledness that people feel. We've had a few people immigrate. Uh, we've had people semigrate to Cape Town. So it's just one of those things. I always feel a sense of loss uh, when we lose people and they always leave gaps. So that's always been difficult. Um, but I think probably the most challenging time that we've had has been now during COVID and uh, not being able to meet with one another. And it's so countercultural for Christians. And, and I've, I've realized something that I kind of knew, but never really acknowledged how much it meant to me. And that is that hearing God's people sing back uh, when we lead the singing on a Sunday 
is just so special now and it's something that we really, really miss. So we are currently going through on Saturdays, recording some of the music pre-recording and just having an empty church and not hearing voices lifted to the Lord in praise is, is a challenge. It's, it's certainly very different. Oh man, I'm, I'm sorry Bronwyn that you are having to be denied my angelic voice singing back at you guys because I know it encourage, it encourages you. We'll pre-record you. <laughs> it does, but that's the thing, it does encourage us. <laughs> it's wonderful to hear those voices and, and those guys, I won't mention any names, who can't clap in time. Um, and and you, you hear the solitary clap off the beat, but you know, we miss that. Like, like David and Royden, yeah. <laughs> it's part of our family. <laughs> Bronwyn, it is Women's Month. Please talk to us a little bit about um, what God's provision has meant to you. And with that, what does it mean for you to be a disciple of Christ? So as I mentioned, um, some of the difficulties over the years have been losing people, people coming and going. And uh, one gets to a point where you wonder sometimes, like, what is going on? Uh, Lord, how are we going to get through this next phase? Um, we need to do music each Sunday and uh, we've lost a lot of people on our team and yet the Lord has always provided. And it's been a good uh, reminder to me that it is God's church and that He will um, see to it that His message goes out. And so I've been really encouraged to know that new people always come along and the music might change, the sound might change, the face of the team may change, um, but the Lord is what unites us and Jesus kind of um, keeps us going. So that's been a wonderful encouragement to me. And in terms of being a disciple of Christ, so I think one of the great joys for me has been um, joining up with various life groups in the life of the church and just remembering that we need to keep learning and keep reading God's word and uh, being in relationship with other Christians. That has just been such an encouragement to me. So I'm in a Friday ladies group and uh, Rosie Moore heads that up. And that's just been such a source of encouragement and uh, refreshing for me. And then also just in my private space as a mom outside of um, the church space, I'm also part of a school prayer group on Wednesday mornings and we meet with all different types of Christians from different denominations. And that's also just been so refreshing to be reminded that God's people are everywhere. And when we find each other, um, it's a wonderful uh, source of encouragement. And then also the odd one-on-one -on -one, um, meeting that I have with women, it's just been wonderful to, to know that Christ unites us. Um, Bronwyn, just as a parting question, um, please just uh, tell us a little bit about how Jesus has been enough for you in your life. Well, I think it's easy to imagine that because I was in church from a young age and I became a Christian quite young, I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus when I was about four or five, and I've been doing the music at church for 18 years, that I'm sorted. But on the contrary, I need the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness that He offers as much as anyone else. And I stumble and fall on a daily basis and I'm reminded of my frailty and of the fact that I need a Savior desperately. I think in a society that is increasingly seeking to divide us, 
along gender lines and racial lines, uh, that there is wonderful hope in the fact that in Christ we are one body. And that is something that I hold on to for dear life. I'm reminded that although I have different roles as a wife, for example, to what my husband may have, um, and I accept those roles. I accept, I don't always get them right, but I accept them and I, I strive to please the Lord. I know that I still will always fall short and that I'm in desperate need of the Lord Jesus to save and to rescue me. And I think that there is great hope in that. There's great hope in the fact that in Christ, there's a beautiful picture in Revelation. One of my favorite songs, um, Do You Feel the World is Broken? We Do. In the chorus, it paints this wonderful picture of every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, that he's made us a kingdom of priests and that we are united in the Lord Jesus. That is something that I hold on to. Bronwyn, thank you so much for chatting with me. It was super fun. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I can't tell you how blessed we are to, to, to have you. Um, and I pray that God continue to use you in many, many ways. Thank you. I am one of the most blessed men in the world because I am surrounded but by so many wonderful, wonderful women in my life, in my family, here at church. And uh, what a joy and privilege to be uh, living with them, serving with them. Right at the top will be my dearest, dearest wife, Jean, who's been a wonderful wife and friend to me. My precious daughters, Catherine Claire in Cape Town. My mother-in-law, Anne, who lives with us. And then here at church, of course, uh, we have Helen. I can't operate without Helen and Kate and uh, Bronwyn and Martha and Renal and Christina and Tammy. Uh, yeah, at the school, I'm just mentioning people from the church. A uh, woman from the church that that many of you will know. At the school here, we have we have Lyle, we have Judy, we have Cornell, we have Christine at reception, we have Teresa and uh, Poppy doing a wonderful job at um, with the with the with the kids and the teens. We have Fiona and Dudu and Lauren and Irene. With Gospel Coalition, we have Felicity and Lily and Sam. At uh, Love Trust Nakopila, we have Michelle and Lindy and Lindsay. Can you believe it? All these wonderful women uh, doing wonderful, wonderful work. Um, the ladies who clean here. Uh, there's Pamela who used to work here. She's now working at the preschool. She was actually here yesterday. And I said to her, Pamela, where have you been? We've missed you. I said, come home. All is forgiven. Um, and Kitty, Bonnie, they, they do such a wonderful job here. They, 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 they clean this office, they sanitize everything, and uh, they are doing such a wonderful job. So all these, all these ladies, I'm so blessed, who, who are absolutely critical to, to us as a church, as a school, as Love Trust, Gospel Coalition, uh, not only work here, but they serve Christ here. And that is the great thing. Yo, we are so blessed with all these wonderful, wonderful women who serve us and ultimately serve the Lord. Hey, I just want to say shout outs to you again for joining us for our Sunday morning service. Yo, I know most of us actually dragged ourselves out of bed and we're still in our PJs. Hey, listen, no shade, no shame for me. I don't think God has beef with your PJs. I think God actually wants your heart. And speaking about hearts, I hope that your heart was encouraged by the singing. I hope that your heart was nourished 
so that when the word comes to us later on, there'll be fertile soil ready to accept the word that will take root and help you grow in your relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But all of that is going to happen in a short while. Before we get there, I just want to bring certain things to our attention and remembrance so that we can know what is happening in the life of our church. First thing to bring to our attention and remembrance is that our evening services are still going on. Sunday night live is happening 6 p.m., even this coming evening. So please do take note of that. All the information will be at the bottom of the screen. It is happening over Zoom and it's happening live. In fact, the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at conversations that are significant and helped people be encouraged in their walk with Jesus. Topics such as the gospel and race, topics such as fatherhood, uh, gender-based violence and last week we looked at purity under lockdown so please do take note of that in fact exciting news is that we are starting a new series this coming evening titled Imbawato in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to be digging around the Gospel of Luke to see these kingdom-minded, gospel-centered women in light of Women's Month and how God shaped their lives and how we can be encouraged to see what God is doing in our own lives so that we may grow in our relationship with our King. So Sunday Night Live, this coming evening, 6 p.m., come through for that and invite everybody you can. Secondly is our Boundaries course. Boundaries is a course for people like moi, right? People who just say yes to everything that by the end of the day, week or month, you feel so overwhelmed by all the commitments that you made and you just cannot meet them. Or sometimes you just say no without thinking that your no actually hurts the person that you're in a significant relationship with. So all of us are in significant relationships at work, with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends, our parents, or anyone else that we believe to be significant and careful. So we all need boundaries. Boundaries will help you cultivate those relationships and not crush them. So you need to know when to say yes to things and when to say no in a way that is loving, in a way that is caring for both you and the person that you're in a significant relationship with. So please come through for boundaries. If you're anything like me, it's happening on the 8th of August, 10 a.m. And all the details are at the bottom of the screen again. So please do take note of that. Boundaries is happening. And lastly, I just want to remind us and bring to our attention of, uh, of who we are. We are a redeemed family of servants on mission. And God has brought us together to partner with him in his mission. And his mission is to reach out to those who are lost. People like, like, like us who did not know Jesus before, but now we've come to know who our king is. We are disciples now who want to make other disciples, who in turn make other disciples that will make other disciples and grow the kingdom of God. So how do we do that? Well, we do it in various ways, through our gifts, our talents, our resources, and our finances. And so now we're going to have a, an opportunity for us to partner with God in our finances, to give to this mission so that we can continue reaching out to people in our immediate community, in our province, in our country, the continent, and the world at large. So you can do that in various ways. One, you can do it through plan giving and the EFT details will appear on the screen and then you can give in that way. Or secondly, a snap scan barcode will appear. You can take your smartphone, just put it against the screen and, uh, and scan the barcode and after that you can give in that way. So please do give so that God's word may continue uh, going out uh, through our church here at Christ Church Midrand. 
with that said, I hope that you'll continue enjoying the service. Um, and I just, yeah, give somebody a high five next to you and just tell them that God is great and he loves them. And we all here together to hear our King speak to us. With that said, that's it for me. Thanks. Peace.
today's Bible reading is from Colossians 1, verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, everybody. I've got Proud here. He's uh, looking after me. Proud's uh, doing the recording. Thank you, Proud. Proud, I heard a story that uh, that you're going around telling people my name is Proud, but I'm a rough crowd. Um, Proud, thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much for what you guys do. We're starting a new series this morning in the book of Colossians. We've just finished a three-week series in the Lord's Prayer, which was just wonderful for all of us to go through the Lord's Prayer again. And uh, if you missed any of those three talks, you may want to go back onto our church website and, uh, and listen to them. We're starting this morning a brand new series in the book of Colossians. It's been read to you. And uh, this morning, we're looking at chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Uh, it's somewhat introductory. I'm not sure I'm going to get through this whole passage. We'll see how the time goes. Um, but let's, uh, let's pray and, um, and ask God to help us. Let's quieten our hearts and our minds as we come to sit under God and His Word. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Father, we thank you that one of the great ways that you deliver us from evil is that you've given us your word. And so we pray that your word 
and your spirit may change our lives and our hearts. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. I think it would be true to say that we've all had times when we wondered whether Christianity is real. Times when we wondered whether we are real Christians. Perhaps it's something you read, something you watched. Perhaps um, you saw in the life of someone who calls himself a Christian. And uh, you wake up in the middle of the night and you think to yourself, I wonder if I haven't been conned by Christchurch Midrand. I wonder if this whole Christianity isn't a con. And then the other times that you wonder if you're a real Christian. You look inside yourself, all the secret stuff no one sees, all the not-so-secret stuff that people do see, and you sometimes wonder, am I a real Christian? Well, if those are some of your questions, and with that comes confusion and doubts and disillusionment, then the letter of Colossians is for you. Because it's dealing with this question, is Christianity true? Are you a real Christian? Have you heard the real gospel? So this morning, we're going to do a little bit of background work. And to get the most out of this letter is first to get to know the people involved and the circumstances. Here we have a letter. Notice there, chapter 1, verse 1. We read, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So what we have in front of, a, uh, front of us here is a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Timothy, uh, who's his disciple, is helping him. And he's writing, Paul's writing to a church in Colossae, which is uh, in present-day Turkey on, on the west coast of Turkey. And Paul was writing this letter when he was in prison in Rome. And uh, he's writing round about 60 A.D., now, Paul didn't plant the church in Colossae. He'd never been to Colossae. But uh, notice verse 7 there, where we meet, uh, we meet a gentleman called Epaphras. Uh, let me read. Just as you learnt it, that's the gospel, just as you learnt it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So Epaphras, who had been one of Paul's converts, went back home to Colossae. And when he went back home, he shared the gospel and uh, through that planted a church. However, what had happened over time is that false teachers had infiltrated the church with false teaching. And um, that false teaching had started to, started to rattle, started to unsettle the believers, the Christians in Colossae. Let me give you a quick preview of some of the false teaching uh, taught by the false teachers, which Paul is trying to address in this letter because he's concerned that his brothers and sisters in Christ are unsettled in their faith. They are rattled. They are uncertain. They're living with confusion and doubts. So notice the wrong teaching, and we pick it up chapter 2. And I'm just giving you a quick preview. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks, God willing. Chapter 2, verse 4. He writes and says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Well, he's actually talking about false teachers in the church. Chapter 2, verse 8. Notice. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, 
according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So what is happening here is that they're false teachers inside the church. They are teachers in the church. Some of them are leaders in the church. And they are teaching these things which are not the gospel, uh, which is not Christ. And so Paul is writing to correct their false teaching, which is unsettling the Christians in Colossae. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 16. We get some idea of the content of their teaching. He speaks there, chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going into detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So that's the kind of false teaching, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks, that was going around in the church of Colossae. And Epaphras is now reporting back to Paul, he's in prison in Rome, all the false teaching. He's reporting back that there are disturbances in the church at Colossae. And they're filled with all kinds of doubts and confusion. Was the gospel, uh, so the kind of questions they were asking because of the teaching of these false teachers is, was the gospel that Epaphras taught us, was it the true gospel? Was it the real gospel? Uh, perhaps we've been conned, perhaps we've missed out, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we got it all wrong. So Paul now writes to address their confusion, their uncertainty, and he writes to reassure them. So we can learn so much from God's word. But the first thing you need to do is understand who was writing, to whom he was writing, what the context, the circumstances were, and then we can apply those same principles to ourselves because we also go through these times of uncertainty and confusion. Well, let's dig into our passage. We're going to look at three headings. Um, and let me just say, I've, I've been greatly helped. Uh, you, you see the books around me. So when those of us who preach, when we prepare, we, we read commentaries, we, we uh, try and learn as much as we can about the passage. I've been greatly helped by commentaries by Douglas Moo and by um, Dick Lucas. But I tell you what is a great, great manuscript is uh, Sean Storer. Many of you know Sean. And uh, Sean's done a great manuscript on Colossians. And uh, whenever I'm not sure of a passage or a paragraph, I think to myself, what did Sean say? And um, so, so what I'm actually saying is that when I get anything wrong, it's actually Sean's fault. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's dig into our passage. Sean, I love you. Um, all right, three headings. He thanks God that they are real Christians. Secondly, he thanks God that they have received the real gospel. And thirdly, uh, and briefly at the end, he asks God for their real growth. So those are the three main principles. Let's dig into the first one. He thanks God that they are real Christians. Let's read from chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your prayer in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. 
So Paul is thanking God here. He's praying. He tells them he's praying for them. And he thanks God that they are real Christians because of the real fruit in their lives. And actually what he gives us here are three marks of a Christian. The fruit of the gospel here are three marks, three fruits of the real gospel, three characteristics of the gospel. So um, you, can, you can take these three marks and, and apply them to yourself. And uh, if, if, if these marks are true of you, well, the chances are you're a Christian. If they're not true of you, chances are that you're not a Christian. So let's have a look at these three marks. Uh, he thanks God that they are real Christians. And here are three signs of a Christian. The first there, notice verse 4, is your faith in Christ. Notice there, we always thank God because we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important to notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't thank God for your work for Christ Jesus. He doesn't thank God for your imitation of Christ Jesus. He doesn't thank God for your religious devotion of Christ Jesus. No, he thanks God for their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, that is the unique distinction between Christianity and every other single religion in the world. Religion will always tell you what you must do. There's certain things you must do. So in Judaism, uh, Judaism, you have the Ten Commandments, and at the time of Jesus, that had been that had been fleshed out into six hundred and thirteen laws that you had to do, that you had to obey. In Islam, you have the five pillars. You have Shabada, which is affirming the key uh, belief that there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. Salat, you pray five times a day. Thirdly, zakat, you give charity to the poor. Psalm, you fast during the month of Ramadan. And then the hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca. Those are the five pillars of Islam. In Hinduism, you have the eightfold path. In ancestor worship, you have the slaughtering of animals, the shedding of blood. Christianity says, no, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can merit your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. There's no five steps. There's no eight, eight-fold path. In fact, it's the exact opposite, says Paul. You must abandon all reliance on your works, on your efforts, on yourself. All you can do is come to the end of yourself and not trust in yourself and trust in someone else who is Christ Jesus. Faith in Christ Jesus. So the gospel, the gospel, the Christian gospel is not what we do. It's what Christ has done for us. And so we trust, we believe that he died on the cross and his death was a substitutionary death in my place, on my behalf. Let me quickly go to the whiteboard and just uh, show you. Most of you have seen these, but they are so helpful to understand uh, what faith in Christ Jesus is and what it isn't. So let's quickly go to the whiteboard. So the only reason I come to the whiteboard, because I noticed some of you were dozing off, and I really just want to get your attention back. All right, let's have a look. The difference between Christianity and religion, every religion. Religion will always tell you that there are certain things you must do. That is religion. There are the five pillars. There's the slaughtering of animals. There's the eight-way path. It's what you do to try and earn your way to heaven. Christianity says there's nothing you can do. It's all been done. 
That is the big, big difference. That is the big, big divide between Christianity and all religions. Religion says do these things, and if you do them faithfully, hopefully you will know God. Christianity says there's nothing you can do. Everything you touch is marred with your sin. No, all you can do is come to the end of yourself and trust in what Christ has done. Let me give you another example. This is, this is, this is you or me here. And uh, here, we have, here we have God. And uh, religion says, this is what religion says, there are certain steps you must take, there are certain things you must do, there are certain things you must obey to find God, to be right with God, to be reconciled with God. That is religion. It's your actions, it's your deeds, it's your works, it's your religion, it's your devotion. Christianity says the exact opposite, that God has taken the initiative. God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. He sent him into this world to die on the cross and to reconcile us to himself. That is not what we do, my dear friends. We fall on our knees at the foot of the cross and we trust in Christ Jesus, faith in Christ Jesus. So I hope those... those, those uh, those pictures help you to understand this great difference between religion and true Christianity. And as I've said before, uh, it's faith in Christ. So it's not so much the, the amount of faith, it's the object of faith. So you'll find in some Christian books and some Christian teaching, they give the impression that uh, you need to generate enough faith. And if you have enough faith, things will happen. Well, that's incorrect. It's not the amount of our faith. It's the object of our faith. The Israeli, the Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir, she was once asked if she believed in God. And she replied, the Jews believe in God and I believe in the Jews. Now, perhaps that's a politician's way of ducking a question. Not sure if her faith is in the Jews or her faith is in faith. But that's not what Paul is talking about. It's not faith in faith. No, it's faith in Christ Jesus. You are not relying on your own efforts to get right with God. No, you're trusting in Christ and the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. The second Mark, quickly notice here, he thanks God that they are real Christians, and you know that you're a real Christian because of your faith in Christ. And secondly, notice there, verse 4, your love that you have for all the saints. Now, look at that word, saints. We often misunderstand that word. My Aunt Louis was quite superstitious, and uh, so uh, she had a copper engraving uh, in her car on the dashboard of St. Christopher. And St. Christopher is supposed to be the saint of traveling. And uh, she, she, she always touched St. Christopher before she uh, went off in her car and she said St. Christopher is there to protect her. Um, I'm not sure who was there to protect the other people on the road from Auntie Louie. But that is not that is not how Paul is using this word in verse four, love for all the saints. No, he's talking, he's not talking about Saint Christopher. No, he's talking about Christians. So the word saints is often used in 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 the New Testament to talk about ordinary Christians like you and me. It actually means the holy ones. So he's talking about believers, your love for all believers. 
So, so we would have Saint Saint David or Saint Bronwyn or uh, Saint uh, Saint Black. I mean, that doesn't sound quite right, does it? Saint Black. Anyway, he's talking about uh, Black. We love you. Uh, he, he's talking about Christian. That's one of the marks of Christian. That uh, you have a genuine love and commitment to other Christians. You love being with them. It's not a romantic love. It's not necessarily an emotional love, though it will affect our emotions. It's not a feeling. No, it's a deep sense of family. Now, some of us, some of us, let me tell you, you don't know this. Some of us are weird. Some of us are wacky. Some of us are off the wall. But we're family. And there's this deep commitment to the family. Now, during this COVID, we all long for social contact. We all long for human contact. Uh, we long to be with, with, uh, with other people. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. It's much deeper. It's a deep longing, a deep love for God's people. Being together one day, uh, who knows when, we'll be together meeting Sunday morning together. And we long for that, where we sing together and praise God together, where we confess our sins together, when we, when we share with each other, when we hear the word of God. That's the mark of a Christian. You want to be with God's people because they are your family, your blood family. And that blood is deeper and richer than your genetic blood because it's the blood of Christ. That's your family. On... Um, Thursday morning for me here on on Tuesday evening uh, I take one of the explore groups uh, we on our last module and uh, we've been together for two and a half years and we meet uh, Tuesday nights on zoom and it's one of the highlights of my week meeting with these brothers and sisters uh, and what a what a joy there's no there's no dirty jokes there's no slandering there's no backbiting we tease each other we laugh we study God's word we pray together and your heart is just lifted Wednesday nights I meet with another group which has sort of grown uh, Joel and Calvin and Lance and Seasway and Trifosa and uh, Jason and Francis and uh, we meet together like we did last night and uh, what an absolute joy it's almost a taste of heaven, being with God's people, reading God's word, laughing, praying, learning. A true Christian loves that. So if you don't love that, perhaps you're not a Christian and you need to turn to Christ. Third mark, third mark, which is really the cause of these two first fruits, is a hope for heaven, verse 5a. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So our faith in Christ and our love for the saints is rooted in our hope of heaven. Now, in the English language, the word hope is not strong enough. There's an element of uncertainty. So I hope that Pirates will win the league next year. I hope that Newcastle will win the PSL next year. There's some element of uncertainty in that. That's the English word. The Greek word is much stronger. It's much more certainty, much more assurance. 
Though heaven for Christians is future, it is definite, it's assured, it's a done deal. And we know that because of the resurrection of Christ. Christ was physically, bodily, historically raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and there he is preparing a place for us. And just as the resurrection is real, so heaven is real. Isn't it wonderful to be a Christian? The best is yet to come. I mean, isn't that wonderful? If you're not a Christian, this is it. I mean, this is it. All you have to look forward to is getting older. And that's not for sissies. How sad. How miserable. For a Christian, the best is yet to come. My good friend Chippy Brand often reminds me of of a wonderful quote from J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer was a great teacher, theologian. He's just died about a week ago. He was 93 years old. In fact, we've had the death of two great Christian leaders in the last uh, couple of months. The, the other was, was our Indian brother, Ravi Zacharias, a great evangelist. And uh, he's got a lot of stuff on, uh, on Google uh, um, defending the Christian faith. Just wonderful. And both have gone to be with the Lord. But Chippy reminds me of that great quote of J.I. Packer from his book, Knowing God, which you must get. Um, let me quote. He said, do I, as a Christian, understand myself? Do I know my own real identity, my own real destiny? And then he says, say this over and over again. Say it first thing in the morning. Say it last thing in the night. Say it when, 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 uh, whenever your mind is free. I am a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day nearer. My Savior is my brother. Every Christian is my brother too. Say that over and over again. I mean, isn't it wonderful? Heaven is my home. And every day is one day nearer. That's the, that's the longing. That's the joy uh, for every Christian. One day I'll be home. One day I'll be out of here. Now for, now, for almost all of you listening, I am first in line because of my age. I'm first in line, guys. And there's no queue jumping. All right? No queue jumping. Heaven is my home. And every day is one day nearer. Imagine right now, J.I. Packer and our Indian brother, Ravi, are looking into the face of Jesus. Jesus. The lily of the valley the fairest of 10,000, the bright and morning star. He's, they, they are looking into his face. They are, they are, he's teaching them. I mean, that's our great hope, our great joy. Just one comment before we move on. Paul is making a very important point here when he talks about our hope laid up for in, us in heaven. When you become a Christian, you do not receive all the blessings of salvation now. You're only tasting it. You're only getting the first installment, the first of a million installments. You're only getting the first installment here on earth. The fullness is in heaven. You see, I need you to do what, what Paul is doing and protect you from wrong teaching, from false teaching, from disillusionment. If I was to tell you that you would receive perfect happiness now, perfect success now, perfect health now, perfect salvation now, 
Well, my dear friends, there would be no reason for Christian hope, would there? No, Paul and the New Testament and Old Testament repeatedly tell us that we are men and women of faith. We are men and women of hope because we've only received the first installment here. And so we hope with certainty, with assurance that one day we will have the fullness and we will join our brothers Jay and Robbie uh, in the presence of the Lord. So there are three marks of a true Christian. You are confident in your salvation because of what Christ has done for you. You rejoice in your relationship with other Christians and you long for heaven. Home. Heaven is my home and every day is one day nearer. There's no pain there. There's no suffering there. There's no tears there because we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ, not by faith, but face to face. All right, three marks. He thanks God that they are real Christians, that, uh, that there are three marks of a real Christian. And if those marks are true of you, then you're a real Christian. Second principle, he thanks God that they've heard the real gospel. Pick it up, verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So you'll remember the context here that the false teachers in the church at Colossae were casting doubts on the completeness of the gospel that they had received from Epaphras. They're saying, you guys only got half the truth. I mean, Epaphras is a good guy, but he didn't give you the whole deal. You were shortchanged. Uh, there's more to the gospel than what he taught you. That's the kind of thing they were saying. So Paul writes to reassure them that, that they did, in fact, receive the true gospel, the full gospel. So what Paul does here in this section, he gives us a remarkable description of the full gospel, of the apostolic teaching of the gospel. So let's quickly have a look at those four marks uh, of, of the real gospel. The first mark is it's a word, verse 5. Um, notice there, the second part of verse 5, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So think about this. The gospel does not come to us primarily through experiences. It may affect our experiences, but the primary aspect of it is not experience. It's not vibrations. It's not incense. It's not perfume candles. No, it comes to us in words. Some years ago, there was a movement called power evangelism. And the argument was that people were not coming to Christ because there was a missing ingredient. And that missing, missing ingredient was signs and wonders. And if you want people to believe the gospel, they need to see signs and wonders. Now, of course, God can do miracles. He is God. I'm not knocking that. But what Paul is saying is that evangelism is about sharing the gospel in words. The key is not signs and wonders. So notice the repeated emphasis here on words, on understanding, on thinking. Notice uh, end of verse 6, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of truth. 
Notice verse 7, just as you learnt it from Epaphras, carries on there in verse 9. Notice that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You notice the emphasis on understanding, on wisdom, on truth, on knowledge, on words. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. So question, what is the power of God for salvation? Well, it's not signs and wonders. It's not buildings. It's not programs. It's not Christian entertainment. No, it's the gospel. The gospel you receive from Epaphras in words. You may remember St. Francis is reputed to have said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Now, it sounds very nice, and what he was probably saying is that the gospel needs to be seen in your life, and we would agree with that. But that statement in and of itself is dead wrong. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. No, the gospel is words. The gospel is words about Jesus, about us, about the cross. The second thing we notice about the gospel is that it, that it is truth. So notice verse 5 again. End of verse 5. Of this you have heard before me in the word of truth. Verse 6, right at the end. And understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul is telling us that the Christian gospel is truth with a capital T. So we use the phrase, sometimes it's used in a court of law, the truth, um, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Well, that's exactly what the gospel is. You can't add to it, you can't subtract from it without diminishing its integrity. So our secular, godless, relativistic, postmodern culture hates Christianity because of its truth claims, because of its exclusive claims. And that's why precisely some, some of our colleagues, friends, family actually hate us because of the exclusive claims of Christ. But my dear friends, if the claims of Christ are not absolute, are not exclusive, if they're not truth with a capital T, they're nothing. They're nothing. C.S. Lewis said, and I'll paraphrase, uh, he said, Christianity is either totally right or totally wrong. It cannot be moderately right. There's no such thing. So what that means for us here with evangelism at the church, one-to-one, -one, at Christianity Explored, which is happening at the moment, thanks to Michelle and Tian and their team doing a wonderful job there, sharing the gospel. It's not primarily about a mystical experience. It's not, it's not technique. It's not, it's not emotional blackmail or manipulation. No, the speaker, the evangelist, is to announce the truth. The hearer needs to hear it and understand it and obey it. And you can be five years old to hear it and understand it and obey it. Now, that does not mean that the gospel doesn't affect our emotions or our heart. No, it's head and heart. But we can't aim at the heart at the expense of the head. No, you received you received the true gospel. It came to you in words. That's what the gospel is. And it came to you in truth. Third thing about the gospel, notice verse 6, is 
It is universal in its scope. The gospel you received was not a distorted one or truncated one. No, it's the same gospel that God has spread all over the world, verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. So you didn't uh, receive a watered-down gospel, a truncated gospel. You received the real deal, the same gospel that's been spreading and bearing fruit all over the world. One of my great privileges in these last couple of years has been to, to visit our brothers and sisters and churches in Mozambique and Zimbabwe and the DRC and Rwanda. And um, you know what is interesting? Everywhere you go, you will find Coke. And uh, everywhere. And uh, you won't find Diet Coke, but you'll find Coke. And uh, it's always the same. So imagine someone in in uh, deep uh, DRC, the Congo, uh, saying to me, Martin, is this Coke the real thing? I mean, haven't they watered it down for us Africans or Congolese? Um, and I'll say, no, no, no. Anywhere you go, this Coke, the taste you get is exactly the same everywhere. It's the real deal. It's the real thing. Well, that's the gospel. The gospel you received, Colossians, is not a truncated gospel. They didn't miss out something. They didn't water it down. No, you got the real thing. Lastly, notice the gospel is a gospel of grace. Notice there, where are we? Where do we find the word grace? I've lost my place. End of verse 6. The day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace and faith, so we looked at faith earlier on, are uh, very similar. Salvation, they always go together. Salvation, you don't work for your salvation. It comes to you by faith. You don't earn your salvation. No, it's a gift. It's grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. So that's a helpful little way. To remember what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. Someone brilliantly said, Are you too bad to receive grace? How could you be too bad to receive what is for the bad? I mean, isn't that, isn't that wonderful? You can never say, I'm too sinful. I'm too horrible. I'm too broken. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. You can't say that, my dear friend. Are you too bad to receive grace? How could you be too bad to receive what is for the bad? That's grace. That's the gospel of grace. Lastly, will you notice our time is gone. He thanks God that they are real Christians. He thanks God that they've received the real gospel, the real deal, the real thing. And now he asks God for their growth. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he prays for two things, that they would grow in two things in particular. 
Verse 9, he prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What does that all mean? He's praying that they may grow, that they may grow in their knowledge, in their spiritual wisdom, in their understanding. The same gospel that brought you to faith in Christ is the same gospel that will grow you in Christ. It's not a different gospel. You don't need an extra gospel. You don't need a top-up. No, the same gospel that brought you to faith in Christ is the very same gospel that will grow you in Christ. Spiritual wisdom and understanding, what is that? Well, it's not just knowledge. No, it's knowledge applied. Remember Solomon in the Old Testament. God granted him one prayer. And his prayer wasn't for money or success or power. His prayer was for wisdom and knowledge that I may govern this great people of yours. We need wisdom. So Solomon prays for wisdom and knowledge. And so we pray that God will increase our wisdom and knowledge, not with a new gospel, not with an extra gospel. The same gospel will grow us. What is wisdom? Well, life is complex. If you think something is simple, well, you don't understand it. Nothing is simple. That's why we need wisdom. Most of our decisions and choices we have to make every day, small ones, big ones, are not right and wrong or black and white. It's not so simple. It's normally choices between varying shades of gray. And that's why we need to ask God, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me to grow in my understanding of yourself, of your word, of your purposes, so that when I make decisions, they are wise decisions that will prosper the gospel and the kingdom. And secondly, he prays that they may grow, verse 10, and live a life worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit. So we pray for that. We pray that the same gospel that has changed us and revolutionized our lives, that our lives may be different, that we may live lives that are worthy of the Lord, that it may bear fruit in your marriage, in your parenting, in your in your place of work, amongst your friends, your colleagues. Lord, will you, will you give me wisdom as I make decisions tomorrow, this week? Will you give me knowledge, understanding, and will you help me to bear fruit, that my life, my love, my words may bear fruit, that there would be, a, that there would be fruit from my life? Um, well, there we go. I think we need to stop there. Let's pray. And I'm going to actually pray from verse 11 and 12 and 13. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table. So after the prayer, you may want to go and fetch uh, some grape juice or any juice or water. And you may want to fetch uh, some bread or a biscuit. And uh, then we're going to remember in particular what Christ has done for us uh, at the Lord's table. But let me pray. Father, as we've been talking about being real Christians and having discovered and receiving the real gospel, we pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us with all power so that we may hold to that gospel with all endurance and patience. And Lord, help us to be thankful, whatever our circumstances, that you have qualified us to share in heaven the inheritance of the saints 
And thank you, Lord, that you have delivered us. Oh, what a, what a wonderful thing. The Lord has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have salvation. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your word, for your spirit. Pray that you will work these things in us, that you will change us. And Father, help us to examine ourselves, that today that we may do self-examination, that we have the Bible, this passage in front of us, and we examine our hearts to see where we fall short. And will you cleanse us and wash us and fill us with your spirit again that we may serve you and bear fruit um, and live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, having heard God's word, having been cleansed and washed by his word and his spirit, we come now to the Lord's table. And uh, you may want to quickly fetch uh, some water or grape juice or bread or a biscuit. And uh, the Lord's table is when we remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. And you are welcome at the Lord's table. You don't need to be a member of our church, but you do need to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be some teenagers, some children here, you are most welcome. But you need to seriously reflect in your own heart, am, am I trusting in Christ? That is the only precondition to come to the Lord's table, that we as his children come to thank him, come to remember what he's done for me on the cross. So you welcome at the Lord's table if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to be um, reading from the scriptures and from our prayer book, as I normally do. And then when I uh, break the bread and drink the grape juice, will you join me as I do so? Um, so uh, we'll do that together. We've just read in Colossians chapter 1 that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now that redemption, that forgiveness of sins was won for us on the cross. And so we come this morning with such thankful hearts for God's amazing grace, God's amazing love. We remember that on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, it was the Passover night. And when he was betrayed, he was with his disciples in the upper room. And uh, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Will you join me as we remember the body of Christ that he sacrificed for us? Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you.
And then after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given you thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it in remembrance of me. <clears throat> well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so, so much that because of the cross, you have delivered us at great expense, at great cost. You have delivered us from the dominion of darkness and the slavery of sin. You have rescued us from the wrath of God by dying in our place. And so, Lord, our hearts are filled with thankfulness and amazement that you should do that for someone like me. Father, we thank you. We thank you, thank you, that this world is not our home, that heaven is our home. And today we're only tasting, just a taste of what heaven is like. And one day we'll be with you at that great wedding feast, rejoicing in the very presence of God. So Lord, fill us with, with hope and fill us with, with joy that we may persevere to the end and be with you one day where we no longer, Lord, need to remember, but we can be with you in your presence. So, Father, go with us into this week. Help us, Lord, to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Help us to bear fruit. Help us to grow in our faith. But, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit so, so much to enable us and to fill us. And we pray all these things for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us here this morning. Hasn't it been a joy to meet together as God's people? We meet in spirit and the Lord is with us. What a joy. I hope it's refreshed you as it has refreshed me. Um, next week, uh, we're going to have a look, God willing, at Colossians 1, 15 to 20. It's a wonderful exposition of the person of Christ and how wonderful Jesus is. So you need to read that before next Sunday morning. Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20, and uh, I hope you have a good week, and God bless you.